This sermon is brought to you by Shatter State Chi Alpha. As you listen, we hope that you enjoy it and that it helps you in your walk. Please visit our website in the information below and drop us a message. We would love to hear from you. Tonight's narrative will entail my telling of the tail end of this tale, a series of unfortunate offenses. If you have been so gracious as to bear with me for the entirety of my telling, I thank you with a most hearty tip of the hat. Either you have great endurance and self-reflection in hearing this heavy topic the Lord first placed on my heart many months ago, or you're doing your best to conceal a malicious smile because your plans after service include waiting outside the room to tar and feather me as I leave. But perhaps I shouldn't give you any ideas. I have prayerfully done my best to ensure that you perhaps become a bit more self-aware in the methods that the enemy has undertaken to try and entrap you. We have spoken of offenses against those who oppose you, those who are closest to you, and those who hold authority over you. It is my sincerest prayer that as we have gone along, you have been introspective in your assessment and brought to light those most sensitive areas of your heart where you have been injured and have quickly forgiven your trespassers as quickly as and easily as we have forgiven the our, been forgiven of our own trespasses, but it would be remiss of me to address the most principal offense of them all. So how many of you guys like NASCAR? I'm sorry. I apologize for this next portion of scripture, or not scripture, this next portion of my sermon. For those of you that like NASCAR, Please don't be offended. Considering that's the whole point of the sermon, I really hope not. But I can remember this one time when I uh, went to uh, car races in uh, Denver, Colorado. And I don't know anything more about the cars that we're driving. I just know they were really big and really loud. And I know a lot about basic cars. And these obviously weren't basic cars. I think it's like Formula One or something like that type cars. I don't know if that's a real term or if that's even a category, if there's like different categories of racing or like if they're like, I don't know, if they have different conferences or something. But we went to this race in Denver, Colorado, and I I really enjoyed it. I actually did really enjoy it. Um, I just remember how loud the cars were as they were coming up towards you, like coming up uh, like racing up and we were sitting in the front row and so like you could feel the cars as they passed by like it was it was pretty legit I'm not gonna lie it was awesome but um, as much as I enjoyed that and as much as I loved going to that um, I have never seen any other NASCAR race or race car race ever other than that I've never been to one or I've never been to any others I've never watched one on TV. Um, I, I really did enjoy it, but I'll be honest with you. Uh, if you invited me over to your, your house or your dorm room to watch the next NASCAR race, I'm not going to get all excited and pick out my favorite wife beater and come over to your house. I'm probably going <laughs> to... Totally not stereotyping at all. I'm not going to get all geared up and... and uh, come over to your house and and watch the next NASCAR race with you. I just honestly won't. I really don't care for it. I have no reason or desire to watch it. So as you hear me explain my enthusiasm for NASCAR or racing in general, um, you can probably conclude that I'm not a fan of NASCAR, right? Yeah, pretty much. You guys are so lively. You got, you got the opposite opinion? That's good. I don't care. But as much of a fan as NASCAR as I truly am, which is not at all, how many of us will actually view church in the same way and view God in the same way as I view NASCAR? Like, I'm willing to go to a race, and I'm willing to go to an event, but... I'm only willing to watch the race as long as the conditions are just right. As long as the, the worship is, 
perfect. As long as the word is just long enough, not too long. As long as the environment is loud and, and catches my attention. As long as I'm entertained. As long as I feel the presence the second I walk in of, of being welcomed and comforted. How often do we view church the exact same way? We view it in a situation in which we're really only good to, to get close to God and to engage in a relationship with God as long as the conditions are just right. We're only willing to go to church, and we're only willing to pick a church if the conditions are just right. And so as, as much of a fan of NASCAR as I am, I've, I look out and I see the American church and the American church is just as much a fan of God as I am of, as NASCAR. And it, it breaks my heart looking out. And, and I know that might not necessarily ring true across here tonight. But when I look at the American church, that's exactly what I see. I see mega churches that are going to listen to, to preachers that are preaching a prosperity gospel that is completely worthless. I see these churches growing in huge size. And then I see the churches in which you might actually be discipled properly being completely barren. And when I look at Scripture, and I I look at the disciples, I don't see a church like that. When I look at disciples and I look in Scripture, I see people who have given their entire lives over to the service of Jesus Christ. No matter if they're traveling full-time sharing the gospel or whether they're making tents in order to be able to afford to share the gospel, they have given their entire lives over to the service of Jesus Christ. They're not picky about which church they're going to. They're not talking about how the worship needs to be just right in order to truly serve God or anything like that. Man, these guys are just completely sold out. And I see almost an exact opposite reflection of what the American church is compared to what I see going on in Scripture with the disciples. These guys were much, much closer to Jesus Christ than you or I probably will be in our entire lives as far as what I've seen. I strive for that, and I want to strive for that relationship with Christ, but I know that I'm not even there as far as looking at what Paul was able to do and how close Paul was to get to God. That's the kind of relationship with Jesus that I want to have. And so I look down, or I look at Scripture, and I try to figure out why. Why were the disciples so much different? Why was the the original church so much different than American Christianity? Why were Christians within Scripture so much different than we are today? Why were the disciples different than you or I are? And I think it really comes down to, in American Christianity, we tend to get offended at God when God doesn't fit into our agenda and not necessarily the other way around. We're not fighting and and striving to fit into God's agenda. We're trying to take God and make him, force him into our agenda. We're trying to put him in a box, put him in a building, put him in whatever you want to put him in. And we get mad when this cookie cutter, fix it Felix, um, God won't come out and grant me three wishes when I rub the the lamp. Because God isn't a, I'm going to come and I'm going to make your life happy and perfect and you're going to be rich and powerful. That's not what I see in scripture, but the American Christianity, we've confused the American dream with God. The American dream, the American dream and service to Christ are in stark contrast with each other. And I think that's where the American church has gone so astray, is we've confused the American dream with the American church. And so what happens is, when we try to make God fit our agenda, eventually you find yourself frustrated because God's not doing what you think he should do. He's not jumping when you say jump. He's not asking you how high when you say jump. And in fact, the opposite occurs, and you find yourself getting more and more distant from God. 
the more and more you try to fit God into your agenda, the more he doesn't do, the farther and farther away from God you get. And you begin to blame God for all the problems in your life. And then you begin to think that, well, maybe this sin, this little sin that I'm stuck in over here, maybe that's causing the, the, the distance between me and God. Well, maybe this screw-up over here, that's causing the distance. Well, maybe this, you know, I didn't read my Bible today, maybe this is causing distance. And so you begin to think that God's actually mad at you. You begin to think that God doesn't love you the same way as he loves everybody else. That God doesn't love us the same way he loved the people in Scripture. You begin to think that you're just too screwed up or you're stuck in too much sin or you have this problem going on or that problem going on. You start to come up with these reasons as to why you think God isn't doing what you're asking him to do. The problem is, the more that we make our lives about ourselves, the more miserable we actually become. The more that you make your life about your own happiness, the more opportunities you give yourself to be offended when other people don't do what you want them to do. Or when more opportunities to be offended when God doesn't do what you want him to do. James 4.3 says, When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. Because I can look at back at my own walk with God. And I can look at the times in which I seem to be struggling the most with my relationship with God and how I believe God viewed me. The times in which I was the most frustrated with God are the same times in which I felt like God didn't quite love me the same as he loved everybody else. And they're also the same time in which I believed God would just grant my wishes if I prayed the right way. Or if I spent enough time in prayer he would just do what I asked him to do. I began to try to put God into my own version of who he was. And I began defining God. And at those same time, or at those same times, is when I would be struggling the most with my own pride. And I would be struggling the most with my own selfish desires. And it was my own pride getting in the way of my breakthrough with God. But aren't you glad tonight that God doesn't hold our sins against us? He doesn't hold our struggles against us. When we try to fit him into a little little box or into this idea of who he is and we try to, to do these things and we try to make him fit into our agenda And when we hurt him, he still loves us. I mean, it doesn't matter how much you've tried to put God into a box, how much you've tried to fit God into your own agenda, he's not going to hold it against you. Man, I'm so glad that I serve a God that still loves me after all of my struggles I went through. After all the times I tried to make God do what I wanted him to do, he still loves me. He still cares about me. Because the Bible says that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Even Israel, in the times in which Israel screwed up in Scripture the most, and you can see it, you can see it when the prophets would come and they'd preach repentance to Israel, and Israel wouldn't have any of it, and God would still send wrath against them, but he still loved them. And it was his love for them in which the reasons why he did what he did in the Old Testament. And even though it grieved God so much to have his chosen people turn against him, he still loved them. Because oftentimes at the root of all of this, at all of our frustrations with God and our frustrations with trying to fit God into our own agenda and when he doesn't do what we ask him to do, more often than not, it's because our own walk with God is on the rocks. Our own walk with God is, is starting to, to curve off the path a little bit, and we're starting to stray a little bit, and our relationship with him is starting to, to fray. 
And so we take it out on him way more often than we, we should. And you project your problems onto everything else that exists. And maybe this week it was worship just wasn't quite right or, oh, the worship leader was sick this week and so it sounded off and that's why I couldn't get into the presence of God or the sound got screwed up and that's the reason why I couldn't get into the, to the presence of God. Or you begin to manifest your own problems and your own struggles onto the, the environment around you. You begin to manifest your own struggles and your own sins and your own um, issues with God onto the people around you and oftentimes onto God himself. And then we become offended at God. And then the enemy comes in and he takes that knife that we've already placed on our own back and he begins to twist it. And he begins to sow discord between you and your friends and you and your, your other Christians that you know really close, you and your pastor, you and your ministry, you and your church. He begins to twist it and begins to, to, to sow discord into that and begins to try to, to use you to cause more chaos. And the enemy loves to take advantage of us when we seem to be the most mad at God. So how can you tell when you might be holding on to an offense, specifically an offense with God? It begins to show up in the little things. It begins to show up in the, oh, I'm going to go sit down, I'm going to pray with God, but I've only got five minutes. It begins to show up in the cutting five minutes here, cutting time there, spending it with God. It begins to show up in the, the oh, now my boss asked me to work over my small group, and so it's not really that big of a deal because Tuesday is more important, right? And then it shows up in the, you think about going to the well, but, well, this week you just have too much homework, and so you're not going to go. That homework's so important, you know. And then it shows up in, oh, you can't go to church anymore because you just don't have time. And you're a junior, you're a senior, and you've really got to get your grades up because if you don't get your grades up, you're not going to get the job that God wants you to have. And so it shows up in the little things, those little decisions, those daily decisions, those weekly decisions. I'm going to skip Kai Alpha this week, and then I'm going to skip Kai Alpha two weeks from now, and then eventually you find yourself you're not going to any ministry at all whatsoever. And you look back and you find yourself distant from God and you find yourself mad at God because he feels so distant to you. Because it looks oftentimes about the same way in which when we're offended with somebody else and we began to find new friends so that we could avoid them and we began not looking them straight in the eyes and we began trying to avoid them and we try to, to distance ourselves from them slowly but surely so that we don't have to face them because we don't want to talk about our issues. And so oftentimes our offense with God manifests almost the same way in which we begin to spend less time with Him and less time trying to grow closer to Him. But deep down we always know that if we invest time into God, He's not going to allow that time to return void. But yet we still find ourselves cutting out time with God and time to learn and time to get closer to God before we cut out anything else in our lives. I was talking to somebody and we were just kind of cracking up how the same people who would never dream about being late for work will show up a half hour late into service. It's because they're cutting out time. Cutting out a minute here, cutting out a minute there and and we're not prioritizing our walk with God. And we begin to make sure that God doesn't have a voice in our lives. Slowly but surely, we take it out. All right. This is it. The final stretch into this series made to stretch us and our way of thinking whether it stretched on forever or seemed far too short. I pray that God has whispered something to you in one way or another, and may anything that is not of him be cast aside like peanut shells at a Texas roadhouse. It is dire that you take what you have heard and record it for future use, for maybe someday someone you know 
may need to hear of this very lachrymose way of living and be warned against it. Redundantly, I will say, offense of any kind is a snare, and I dearly hope you are wise enough to avoid it in the future. No offense. It abolishes acquaintances, fractures friendships, ruins relationships, suffocates small groups, complicates classes, jeopardizes jobs, mangles ministries, corrupts churches, gags God, gags God, and puts a yoke on you that was never meant to be there. God made us for so much more. He puts you where you are for a purpose, to be a light unto the world. One of my favorite quotes is, you'll make excuses for the things that you don't want to do, but you'll come up with reasons and make sacrifices for the things that you do want to do. And one of the best, what is it? Is it an acronym where a letter represents a different word? Acronym? Sure. The best acronym I've ever heard for the word busy is being under Satan's yoke. I know you've got stuff going on. I know you've got to study. I know you have classes. I know you're at Shadron State College in order to get a degree. I know you have a purpose here. I know you have a job. I know you're, you're a resident advisor. I know you've got all this stuff going on. I do. I understand that. And I know you do have to make sacrifices with your time sometime, sometimes that you don't want to make. And I understand that when you have to do that. But so often, the very first sacrifice we make is our time with God instead of our time with Netflix. We'll make our sacrifice, our time in Scripture, instead of our time in, the TV, in front of the TV. We'll make our sacrifice church over a late-night study session in which we probably should have been studying all week instead. And so we begin to mismanage our time down to a point, and way too often the very first sacrifice we're going to make because we've screwed up our week, is our relationship with God and something relating to how we spend our time with God. And oftentimes it becomes manifest and you begin bringing your homework to Chi Alpha because you just feel like you're too busy or you're working on something every time you go to church. And instead of actually listening to the sermon, you're focused on your homework because you think you can kill two birds with one stone. But if you would have just planned out your week ahead of time the right way, then you could be here actually listening and trying to get closer to God. And I know, like I said, I know sometimes you have to make sacrifices. I know sometimes you have to do it. You have to bring your homework so that you can hear the message of God and get your homework done. I understand that happens. But when it becomes habitual and it becomes a pattern and it becomes obvious, we need to take a step back and we need to make sure that we're not offended. We need to make sure that we can root out any offenses in the first, first and foremost. And so the way that we deal with that is we have to take a step back and we have to completely rewire our brains. We have to stop and we have to start looking at life completely differently than how we view it. And we have to look at God differently than how we view it. If we find ourselves struggling, we find ourselves getting distant from God, we find ourselves distracted, we find ourselves choosing whatever of this world over our time with God, or we start looking at things within our life rather than looking at eternity, when we find ourselves doing that, we have to take a step back and we have to rewire our brains. <clears throat> so turn in your Bibles to Philippians 8. Because any time that we don't view God as someone who truly, truly loves us and wants us to prosper and grow, Anytime we view him differently than that, and we begin turning him into a genie or think that he's mad at us, we need to look at ourselves and we need to, to have a little bit of introspect. What? Oh, my bad. No, I have Philippians 8 in here. I don't know why I did that. I must have read it wrong. That the right? Yeah, okay. Is it three? Philippians three. Sorry about that. My bad. It's all right. It's all right. But whatever gains I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, 
I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. We begin to feel pressured by the world. We begin to feel like we don't have enough time. We start sacrificing our personal time with God. We begin to harden ourselves towards him and what he wants to do in our lives. We begin to take offenses. We begin to unforg- or not forgive people. We begin to take offenses against God himself. We begin to lose sight of what we should be focused on. We begin to look at this world and think that this world is, is truly important. But in reality, the things of this world are worthless compared to Jesus Christ. Because he loved us so much, everything else that we could ever even fathom is important that the world can give us is completely worthless compared to our relationship with him. And we really should, compared to our relationship with Jesus Christ, count everything else as lost. Null, void, worthless in comparison. Things like your degree, your car, your job, your class, your homework, your GPA, your major. It is all trash compared to your relationship with Jesus Christ. Period. It does not compare. There's nothing on that list. Degree, car, job, class, GPA, major, any of that that can redeem you. None of that that's going to forgive your sins. None of that is going to give you everlasting life. None of that is going to get you closer to Jesus Christ. Your relationship with Jesus Christ is far more important than any of that stuff. And when you walk through these doors and you come to Chi Alpha, the one thing I ask, the only thing I ask from you when you walk into these doors is that you check your pride at the door and you're honest. I don't need to see perfect people with perfect faces pretending like everything in the world is okay when you're struggling. I want to see you come into this room, and if you're broken, come in here broken. Be broken before Jesus Christ. If you come in here and you're struggling with your relationship with God, I want you to come in here struggling with your relationship with God. I want you to be honest, because if you lie, you can't receive the help that you need. And so I I command your honesty. That's the only thing I ask for is you come in here and you're honest. And so I want everybody to close your eyes. I'm going to ask you a couple questions, and I want you to seriously think about them. Legitimately think about them. Everybody, close your eyes. The first question is, I want to ask you, and you don't have to answer out loud, but I want to ask you this question and answer it in your own mind. Do you love God? The second thing I want you to ask, everybody close your eyes. The second thing I want you to ask yourself is do you really, truly believe that God loves you? You guys can open your eyes. There's nothing special or spiritual about that. There's nothing that's, you know, I I didn't have anything in mind. I just wanted you to only be thinking about your relationship with God. And if for that split second, I know the obvious answer is, do you love God? Yes. I know the obvious question, you know, asking the question, do you truly believe that God loves you? Yes. But if while you were thinking about your response, you hesitated for even a split second to answer that question, there's some things we need to deal with. Because if you don't clearly know that God loves you, 
then you don't know God the same way that I know God. If you hesitated for even a moment because you know that the answer is supposed to be yes, that hesitation shows that there's some concern there. And that's some concern that we need to deal with tonight. Because if you feel like for even a split second that Jesus Christ doesn't love you and God doesn't love you, we need to take off our worldly lenses and we take off our, our offended lenses. We need to take off the problems that we have in this world and we need to look at it honestly and look at the heart of God without our own agendas and without our own beliefs and without our own hurts and our own pains. We need to look at God and when we look at God that way, the only way that we can see him is someone who truly loves us. And so if we hesitate for even a second, there's something clotting that vision. There's a log in our eye, a, a thorn in our side. There's something preventing us from seeing God the way he truly is. The things of this world are pulling you away from God. And their goal is to pull you away from God and put you into slavery because the will of God is for you to be 100% free and live a truly free life. And that free life comes with walking with Jesus Christ. Because the love of God, the love that He showed us through Jesus Christ, the love of Jesus Christ, the love of the Holy Spirit, the love of God, and only the love of God should be driving us. The love of Jesus Christ should be driving us to get closer to Him, to learn more about Him. Yes, there is obedience in this, but it really does come down to the love of God. Because the only thing that we can be truly sure of in this world is that God loves you. God loves you abundantly. You can't even fathom how much God truly loves you. So if you think for even a split second that God doesn't love you or maybe he doesn't quite love you quite as much as he loves everybody else or maybe he's punishing you or he's, he's mad at you or anything like that, if you think even for a second like that, we need to get over our own pride and our own hurts and we need to see him and get back to the basics of our faith. And so tonight to kind of wrap up our sermon series. We've been going at it for four weeks, talking about the different ways in which offenses can, can harm our relationship with God and make us more distant from God. I kind of want to wrap up this sermon and, and talk about the different ways in which we have been talking about offenses. We've talked about offenses in the form of tonight, forgiving God talked about offenses in the form of forgiving authority, talked about offenses in the form of forgiving friends, and talked about offenses in the form of forgiving enemies. And so the reason why it is so important for us to let go of our offenses, let go of our unforgiveness, and forgive anyway, even when we're in the right and they're in the wrong, even when we've done nothing wrong and we forgive them anyway, is because offense truly is the bait of Satan. And it truly does ensnare us, and it does trap us. Offense turns into so much bigger than what it was when it started if we continue to hold on to it and it begins to fester and grow and infects the rest of our lives. And it begins to turn us against each other, and eventually it begins to turn us against God. Because we truly cannot love someone and hold an offense against them. They're not congruent. If you've been offended by anything that I've done to you, or your small group leader's done to you, or your friends have done to you, or you think that God has done to you, and you are holding on to that offense, you cannot show love for them and hold on to that offense. Period. Exclamation point. Underline, bold, italics, whatever it takes to get the point across, you cannot harbor an offense and love at the same time because the opposite of offense and unforgiveness is love. And so turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13. 
and we're going to finish on this. Some of you guys might already know it by heart. It's a pretty popular passage of Scripture. But in this Scripture, I'm going to show you how it's impossible for you to harbor an offense and love someone. I have the right numbers up there this time. It's not 1 Corinthians 15. We're good. It's not 1 Corinthians 113. Smart Alex. Okay, 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have the faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all, my, all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not, or it, it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. And it keeps no record of wrongs. I'm going to read that again. I'm proving to you that you cannot harbor an offense on somebody and love them. Love, it does not dishonor others. Love, it is not self-seeking. Love, it is not easily angered. Love, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Because offense and harboring unforgiveness is literally keeping a record of wrongs. It is contrary to what we read in Scripture right here. And so it is so important that we do not harbor offenses. Because it doesn't matter how smart you think you are, how good of a GPA you have, how much money you make, if you continue to harbor offenses, you will one day wake up and find yourself outside the will of God. And it will happen. Don't repeat the mistakes of so many people who have come before you. I've been involved in Chi Alpha for years now. Eight years, right? Eight and a half years. It's been a while. It's been a while. I've been involved in Chi Alpha as a student, as a staff member, and as the director and as the pastor. I've been involved in Chi Alpha for years, and I have seen so many students come in here and make this mistake. I have seen more students probably come in here and make this mistake than people who have truly gone on to be discipled and to go on to disciple others. There's so many people who have walked through these doors and sat in the same seats you're sitting in who have chosen instead to forgive their brothers and sisters and to forgive God to harbor offense. And they slowly begin to, their walk with God slowly begins to deteriorate and they find themselves falling away from God. These are students who I personally have loved, cared for, discipled, prophesied over, you know, prayed with, prayed for, shared my, my deepest feelings and, and uh, passions with them. I've helped burden their yoke, their, their transgressions. Man, I've had those intimate conversations with them about how much God loves them. These are the same students who have came in. They've sat down in the same seats you're sitting in. And the biggest mistake I see happening so often is they hold on to offenses. And they find themselves going down a path they never would have intended. And they find themselves walking away from God. And one day they wake up, and I honestly can't tell the difference between them and somebody who is fully in the world. So many people. And so as a, a former Chi Alpha student, as a former Chi Alpha staff, and as the Chi Alpha director, I'm begging and pleading you, not to harbor offenses. If there's one thing that I can guarantee will help improve your relationship with God, it's forgiving people, especially when it doesn't make sense to. Love, forgive often. As in Matthew 18 says, 
forgive 70 times, seven times. Every time you can even think of somebody who's offended you, even if they've done it 70 times, seven times today, forgive them anyway. They do not deserve the control over your life that harboring an offense will give them. And so tonight I'm going to leave you guys with this. Matthew 22, 36 says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Love doesn't hold on to offenses. The most important thing you can do today is to let go of any offenses that you're harboring. Otherwise, you break your you run the risk of breaking the two greatest commandments. Period. There's nothing else to say about it. There really isn't. And so tonight, I'm going to ask Ruben to come up and, or whoever, play the guitar. And we're going to have a short little period of time again. I'm going to give you guys five, ten minutes. And first and foremost, I want you to make sure that you forgive God. If there's anything that you think God has wronged you on, or if even for a split second you hesitated, and you thought God didn't love you or God might not love you as somebody else, I want you to pray about your relationship with God and I want you to forgive God. And I want you to ask God forgiveness. That's the first and most important thing I want you guys to do tonight. But then after that, if you're good with God, you love God, God loves you, there's no unforgiveness there. And I hope most of you aren't harboring any kind of unforgiveness. And I hope that this was more of a proactive sermon in which you can guard yourselves against offense in the future. But if you find yourself harboring offense of somebody else, and if they happen to be in this room, this time period is for that also. I want you to go and I want you to talk to them. And I want you to forgive them. And I want you to ask them for forgiveness. Even if you were in the right and they were in the wrong, ask for forgiveness anyway. There's no point in harboring offense. And so tonight, if that doesn't apply to you and someone you're harboring an offense against isn't in this room, I want you to ask yourself and ask God and ask the Holy Spirit to show you any offenses you might be harboring against anybody else in this world. It doesn't have to be friends. It doesn't have to be family. It can be enemies. First sermon of this series was about not harboring offenses of those we disagree with and our enemies. And so ask God and ask the Holy Spirit to show you, is there anybody that you're harboring offense against tonight? And this time period is to let that go and to forgive that and to no longer hold on to that offense and to show some love against that person. And if tonight and over the last three weeks you've successfully let go of any offenses that you've been holding on to, been forgiving the way that God's called you to forgive, your relationship with God is on track, everything is going good with God, man, that is so awesome. And so what I ask of you, if that's you, I want you to be praying for the people in this room. Ask the Holy Spirit who you might need to pray for. I don't care. I want to see you guys praying and caring about the other people that are sitting around you. like five, ten minutes. We're going to turn the lights down low. This is your time to let go of any offenses.
think that harboring forgiveness or harboring unforgiveness and, and holding on to offenses as detrimental as it truly is to our walk with Christ it so often is the, the biggest struggle that we deal with is so often that it is the the number one thing that derails our relationship with Christ. As I've grown as a pastor and and as a Christian, I really believe that my relationship with God improves. And as my relationship with God improves, my ability to forgive others has continued to increase. But I still know that there's so often that even as a pastor, I'll hold on to stupid offenses, ridiculous offenses, offenses that like in the scheme of eternity are so meaningless. I find myself harboring stupid offenses. And so it's good for us to regularly check ourselves. Ask the Holy Spirit to look within us and show us who we have, haven't forgiven and who we should forgive. It needs to be something that's it's on our checklist. Man, as I'm praying, Holy Spirit, and Scripture says that if you go to the altar and something comes to your mind that you have a disagreement with a brother or sister in Christ, you should go deal with that first and then come back and worship Jesus. It's that important. And so as a part of our prayer life, we should ask the Holy Spirit regularly, search me, show me someone that I need to forgive. Show me if there's any unforgiveness inside of me. And so as we close up this section on on offenses and, and close up this month of, of learning about the different kinds of offenses and the different ways that we need to deal with offense. I just want to be transparent with you guys. You know, one of the things that God's called me to do as the pastor and the director of Chi Alpha here, one of the visions that God has shown me is that um, my duty is to raise up people who will go out and share the gospel. My duty is to raise up people who will go out and make disciples. And so when you come in here, sometimes you hear a heavy sermon or sometimes you hear a hard-hitting sermon. Just know that I have prayed about this sermon numerous times throughout the week. I've sought the Holy Spirit. I've prayed about it. I've asked the Holy Spirit to guide me as I write my sermons. I intend to only preach what the Holy Spirit is asking and not even necessarily what I think you guys need to hear. Because the Holy Spirit is a much better gauge of what you guys are going through than I am. And so know that if you come in here, I haven't written a sermon targeted directly at you. I won't ever write a sermon to try to fix a wrong in your life. That's not who I am, and that's not how I go about being a pastor. You, I'm responsible for all of you. And so if there is an offense and there's something that I directly need to talk to you about, I will come and talk to you about it. After last week's sermon, I had people coming to me asking me if, if, the, if I was offended at the way that they've been behaving or something like that. Last week's sermon wasn't about that. Last week's sermon was about us harboring forgiveness or unforgiveness. And so my goal, when you step foot through this door and you come into this room on Tuesday nights or you come to the well on Thursday nights, my goal is not to entertain you. I really don't care if you're entertained in this room. I really don't. My concern is in discipleship. I want to get you guys discipled. And I've shared so many times that discipleship is not Tuesday nights. 
It is the start. But discipleship is so much bigger than that. And so you guys are doing yourself a disservice if you're not involved in a small group. You guys are doing yourself a disservice if you don't come to the well on Thursday nights. You're doing yourself a disservice if you're not meeting with your small group leaders. Because discipleship is so much bigger and so much more involved than just Tuesday nights. And so my sermons, as much as they are intending to disciple you, I can only do so much from the pulpit. I want to see you guys get discipled. And I want to see you guys leave Shattered State College and make a difference in people's lives. And yeah, you can make a difference with the job and with the degree that you get and the job that you're going to have. But the real difference you're going to make in people's life is by sharing Jesus Christ with them and making more disciples. And so just because sometimes I might say something that is hard to, to, to apply to our lives or can be tough to listen to, do not mistake that for my love for you guys. I do love each and every single one of you. If you step foot through this door, I love you and I'm praying for you. Same goes for my wife. Pray the same goes for the small group leaders. They care about you. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to get together and to take a little time out of our lives and to refocus on what's important. Refocus on you. Lord, I pray for these students that are in here tonight that if there's any unforgiveness inside of them, God, I'd ask that you would bring it to the forefront of their mind. That they would deal with it. God, I just ask that you would give them courage to deal with it and to deal with it the right way. I pray strength for them to deal with their offenses. And Lord, I ask that you would protect them. Lord, I pray as they continue this week of classes, and I know school's getting tough this time of year where it ramps up things. I pray that you would give them abundant time. And Lord, that they would still focus on you first and foremost you would return that with more time to spend on their homework. You would return that as the ability to focus on their homework more. Or that you would return to them the investment that they've made into you. I pray for good grades and I pray for no stress and I pray for just a nice casual week where it seems like they knew all the answers to all the questions on all their tests they filled out their homework appropriately and they get good grades this week. So Lord, that they can come back after break and just be ready to go 